thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up for a Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And I would like to specially welcome our most extraordinary, most beautiful, Tanya Hubbard, who's joining us today as our special guest on Up For A Chat. Now, I want to tell you how I met Tanya. A couple of years ago, I wandered into this tiny little eclectic cafe bar in the back of a suburb on the Sunshine Coast, and it looked like it was it was gorgeous. It was all old-fashioned newspaper on the walls and really artsy-fartsy, antique type of furniture in there. And I had some writing I needed to do. So I walked in and realized when I walked in, I'd walked into heaven. Because this cafe didn't serve any grains and no glutens and no wheats. And I was going through a phase where I'd really shifted my diet. And I walk up to place my order and this woman takes my order with her head in a scarf and dreadlocks. And I thought, oh, my God, what is my meal going to be like? <laughs> I'm in this eclectic, old, antique shop being served by a woman with dreadies. I thought, oh, save me. Have I done the right thing? The next minute, the most amazing coffee comes out by this man who looks like the world's most gentle soul. And then my vegetable tagine comes out, and it was extraordinary. So I'm sitting eating my gorgeous lunch, minding my own business, and this woman with the dreadlocks makes her way to my table, pulls out a chair, sits herself down and begins a conversation with me like she's known me all my life. I was floored. And I thought, you know, where do you actually go to get an experience, to get amazing food, extraordinary service, unbelievable coffee, but a real experience of enjoying food food and food being it felt like I was being celebrated like my food was being celebrated and I've never forgotten that and I remember it was Tanya with the dreadlocks who sat down with me <laughs> she actually sat down and we entered into a conversation that ended in her telling me about a cookbook that she was bringing out and I was so elated so excited I couldn't wait to get my hands on it but I think it was about four weeks out from being printed so I had to wait <laughs> But I tell you what, I couldn't wait to get my hands on that after such an incredibly extraordinary, delicious experience, not just in the food, but of the woman. And from that moment to this, I've, I've never forgotten you, Tanya, and I've never forgotten the experience that you created for me around eating healthy and really being conscious of what I'm putting in my mouth. Because when I looked at you, you were glowing. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, that was oh, my yeah. experience. Really? <laughs> you just exactly did the same thing because I did the same thing. I looked at her and you I did, thought... You did. You just arrived. I almost yeah. died when you arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I know. How amazing. So do that to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, it was my goal yeah. to harass everyone that came into the cafe. And you do it so naturally. Like, it comes with love, you know. I mean, the first day we opened the doors, we... Um, we decided that it needed to be a warm hug. Nothing else mattered. So wow. we used to... Um, I put up a photo of Martin Luther King out of an old newspaper clipping and he had written across the top of that, I have a dream. 
So I used to walk in every morning and touch it and say thank you and also say, I too have a dream. And it was always about providing a place that did celebrate food, people and love. And that was husk and honey, you know. But it was about a warm hug. Every day had to be a warm hug. Oh. Didn't mean I didn't have bad days in the kitchen and wish everybody would leave and get out of my place. You know, you have bad days. <laughs> I guess <laughs> these, no are, these are really what. good question though. What yeah. do you do on those days? On those days, um, we all had a pact as a team that we'd actually love one another. So no matter what space somebody else was in, you actually lift them. No leaners, only lifters. So that was a really oh, critical oh, part for no us. No leaners, only lifters. Yeah. Oh, my God, can we get that tattooed on your forehead? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. It worked, you know. Yeah. Um, and that was the same for any customer that came in. You're not a customer. You're a part of a family. You're a part of a food family. It was about creating a destination business that embraced people um, through food and also the food part of it came through the doors through our local farmers. So embracing them and giving them a place where they can also feel that and where our customers could meet them at different times. So, I don't know. For me, it was just about creating family around food. So how did that start for you? How did, what, how did you get into this? What was your... What, what, I guess, what happened in your life story in order to create you to be that person to want to create a place like that? <laughs> Good question, because truly, my family and I don't get on at all. Like, we're totally estranged. I'm strange, but we're Australian, right? <laughs> so, and maybe that's thinking, why. I was just listening to what you said there and I thought, you're strange? Yeah. You're strange? <laughs> um, and my family, no passion for food. My dad was a butcher, but it was the only job he knew. Um, my mum was the boil the cabbage to all, get out, you know, fry those sausages and put them in gravy. That was my mum. Bless her, that was the best she could do. Of course. But there was always a challenge for food in my house because it was never what I wanted to eat. Um, but I was always really sick too as a kid. Never slept, always had kidney infections, urinary tract infections, really bad skin, thin hair, lots of stuff. Heaps skinnier than I am now, but always had a tummy, you know, that funny little tummy. Anyway, <laughs> now it's not so funny. Um, <laughs> it's shrinking slowly. Um, but I just kept getting sicker the older I got. And it wasn't until I was in Canberra and I was working in the federal government that I ended up, my lungs collapsed. I got down to 4% lung capacity. Wow. Went to hospital that day, got out the next day, went back to work. And my girlfriend said to me, you look like crap. I want you to go and see this guy. And you'll read about Bill Giles quite a lot on the internet. And he's been doing work around chronic fatigue, autoimmune diseases, all of that stuff for more than 25, almost 30 years now. And I thought, oh, this guy will be a hoax. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right, eh? You know, I checked him out. I was in the federal government. I was good at researching. And, um, but I went and I sat in front of this guy and within five minutes he named me it was the most exposing meeting I've ever had with somebody I never knew. He knew me better than I knew myself. He listed off all of it, all the stuff that was happening in my gut, the migraines, the fatigue. Um, he knew. He challenged me and said, I bet you've developed lumps throughout your body over time and they come and go and all this sort of stuff. And I just sat there thinking, you're either a complete freak of nature or somebody released my file to you mm-hmm. or you actually know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Within an hour, I knew absolutely he knew what he was doing, and I agreed to go through all the tests. All my tests showed positive that I was my body was attacking itself all the time, and nobody knew why. Nobody knew why I was cranky and <laughs> used to be sent off to behavioural people at school <laughs> and 
probably I would be told now that I'm borderline Asperger's <laughs> autism or something like that because I had all those markers and I couldn't sleep and I was always really irritable and this guy said yeah well that's normal but we're going to change all that and I didn't believe him but boy I believe him now 10 years on it's quite an amazing thing really there's a lot of people listening to this that would say they might have had their kids told that oh you know they're borderline all Asperger's or ADD or ADHD mm. their their behavior is not appropriate they're all, and and then we look at the kid as the problem but you're saying and what I'm gathering is that it's actually you know we need to look at what we're eating what we're doing and how we're controlling our own lives so maybe us parents need to take a really good hard look at what we're feeding our children well even you know my mum always used to say to me I was a really depressed kid I'd be like that kid in the skate park up down up down up down and my my mum you know did the best she could but um they always used to put it down to other stuff. I'm adopted, so they always put it down to, oh, she's adopted, you know, that <laughs> qualifies you to be a bit freakier than normal kids apparently. But it was really challenging for my mum because she kept trying to work out why doesn't my daughter sleep and why is my daughter so depressed and why does she get angry so quickly and why does she hide and why does she cry all the time? And when I read Bill's papers and started reading more stuff, and you know this, hey, how all of this autoimmune stuff and these toxins attack your brain. So the first thing I noticed, the first week I went off all grain, wheat, corn, rice, oats, barley. Tell us what he actually told you to do. Well, so he, Bill basically said to me, I want you to go off all grain. I did a blood test and a urine test and they showed for these positive markers, but he said the the best way to do it and the smartest way to do it is to take complete control and rule out every grain, take out all grain. And I also took out dairy. He wanted me to take out dairy and all sugar. And I actually didn't eat a lot of sugar anyway. I was never really attracted to it. But in that conventional sense, but I was eating lots of fruit and, you know, so I knew I needed to go through some changes. Anyway, so he said, go off all grain. So I went off wheat, corn, rice, oats, barley, rye. I hated soy, so I didn't really want to go on soy. Um... And I went, okay, great, but what the hell am I going to eat? You know, like, give me a bit of an idea of what I'm going <laughs> to eat. That would be really helpful. You're sitting there opposite telling me to go off all this stuff and... There's nothing left. Well, there isn't in no. most people's lives. Yeah. That's, and I was totally... Look, you know, I was in the federal government. I worked for the health department for a while. We talked to people about the bloody food pyramid all the time. It was always the food pyramid. That thing's evil. Anyway, don't get me started on the food pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I mean, you it was say anything you want about the food pyramid. Well, it was really interesting because after I met with Bill, I went away and I started researching the food pyramid because I had a personal trainer. At my heaviest, I was 116 kilos. Wow. I had a personal trainer. I was paying him 40 bucks an hour to run my butt up and down Parliament House. He had me sprinting and boxing and I kept getting fatter. And that was not cool. And I was eating off that bloody food pyramid. Mm. So I went away after I met with Bill and he said, get out all the grains. I'm not a huge legume fan, but I do some legumes when I'm starving and that's all about preparation for me. But anyway, so within a week, I'd taken out wheat, corn, rice, oats, barley, rye, no soy, no dairy, and I slept for the first time in my life. The most profound thing that happened to me in that first week was none of the really bad chest pain. I used to stop breathing at night. Eric, my husband, used to think I'd... Well, I used to stop breathing and he used to kind of give you a bit of a bash to wake you up. Um, it's a part of the autoimmune disease I had, if you want to call it a disease, but, um, and that disappeared. I couldn't believe it. 
But the poor bugger actually thought I'd died during the night because I slept for eight hours. The first person I rang was my mum because my poor mum had this kid that never slept, that was always on edge, that was never coping, that was up and down, depressed, sad, um, very antisocial. I'm quite shy, despite what people say about me. (laughs) (laughs) I am very shy and retiring, but when I was a kid, I I just would freak out, you know. I couldn't stand being near people because I always felt so panicked. Wow. All of that has gone. I just... But over years, things started to happen. Migraines left, um, the depression left, the sleep came... My teeth stopped falling out. My hair went curly and thick again. Um, I lost just over 30 kilos. And I'm still slowly working on that, thanks to some amazing people like Cindy. Um, But all of that's taking time. But the best thing is I was put on the path of healing. But I was still really cranky because I didn't know what to eat. It was like, crap, you know. So I started investigating global food communities. I just had this real desire to understand well, what can we eat if it's not off that food pyramid? You know, the greatest con on the planet. Mm. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> yes, you can say that it is the greatest con on the planet. The best advertising tool ever to come out of the United States Department of mm. Agriculture. What the hell do they know about nutrition? They mm. help farmers, for God's sake. Anyway, don't get me on there. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. But it's, you know, I. the challenge for me was to just totally put all that aside. That was... I'm 43. I just turned 43 this month, and oh, you're a fellow Aquarian. I am a fellow Aquarian. Bravo! Yes. Happy birthday for last week. Thank you. What day was that? That was the first. Oh, okay. I'm the 27th of January. Nice, nice, nice. Look at that. See, I knew there was a kindred spirit in the room. Um, but do you know what was amazing? I remember waking up. I was still working for the federal government, and I'd go to morning teas. I was watching all my colleagues hoeing in Krispy Kreme donuts just arrived in Canberra. And I'm watching all these people go psychotic over this food. And I'm in meetings with these people thinking, I'm actually witnessing food as poison in front of me. I could see what was happening because I could feel what was changing in me. And it was like somebody lifted the shutters for the first time in my entire life. I was so excited. Um, And then I just started playing with food. Coconut flour was the first thing I played with. My first recipe, it took me six months to perfect it. My pers- my husband had to eat all these really stodgy, awful, gross <laughs> creations. They were disgusting. And, and they stick here. Oh, yeah. If you have too much coconut flour, oh, they stick right up your throat. Yeah. And you're trying to get it down and you're thinking, am I going to stop breathing? <laughs> I thought he was going to one night and he kept drinking more water and it kept expanding because it absorbs... What is it? 30 times the same weight in water, coconut flour. So this poor guy's trying to rinse his thing Oh, my gosh. People are listening going, you mean I don't have to use arsenic? (laughs) (laughs) No, spoonful of coconut flour. Right. All of a sudden, all the husbands start getting coconut flour pancakes. That's coconut it. Flour, <laughs> coconut flour bread. And the water's been disconnected from the house. <laughs> oh, shame. Oh, my God. We got a call from um, Energex. <laughs> so, so there you have it, kind of. And, Cindy, how, what made you get so excited about Tanya? What was it that you loved about her when you met her and what it meant for you and you, what you were doing in this food industry? Well, like... Like um, Karen has already said, you know, I met on a similar realm. We'd, we'd actually met at an organic um, 
place in Yandina mm. and were introduced by mm. a mutual friend and I found out that she had this eclectic place in a tiny little street in a tiny little backward area. Can I say that? Mm. Yeah, backward area <laughs> of the Sunshine Coast. And I went, and there's no grain. I went, there's, I've got to find out how she can make this work. Because, you know, yeah. I've been into listening to the hunter-gatherer and the, the whole paleo thing and, and no one was listening. You know, everybody wants their bread and everybody wants pancakes and everyone wants, you know, this type of thing. So I think in a couple of days I was there. Yeah. And I don't know, it was, uh, it was just that she had to basically do this for survival. Yep. And then survival became a passion and passion became a, not even a job, it became a bigger passion that created a financial movement. security mm. and a movement and a, a movement. movement. Because people come from all over the world to go to Haskanani. I know. They hear about you and they come. That gobsmacks me. Yeah. People got off the train and they'd just flown into Australia, they came from New York and they heard about us in a cafe in New York. From two people travelling, backpacking from Australia. And I was like, really? Mm-hmm. And they were funny because they couldn't understand me and I couldn't understand them. <laughs> I had the worst accent apparently. They said they'd ever come across. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I it's know, true though. They were lovely. It, it, I had it becomes no idea. a destination um, product you have. It doesn't matter where you are. If it's that good, people will come. And, and you know what? When I travel, I look up where is there a food place? You know, like I, I was in um, America a year, a year ago and I heard about a raw vegan place. Not mm. that I'm into raw veganism, but I love that people are doing this and creating a living out of it and people are going long distances to go there. So I flew from Australia to LA, went to Venice Beach and went to a raw vegan place. There were three. I went to all three. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you had to test. But now there's paleo. You know, that mm-hmm. was actually, that was probably a couple of years ago. Now I want to test all the paleo places. Yep, because me too. now what I love is starting to, you know, create a momentum. Yeah. So, and the fact that your food was amazing. Thanks. And it was right down my alley. And then when the cookbook came out, you know, I, oh. I, I just remember going to the the um, the launch, and, and your husband just cried. I know. Don't so make me cry now. You. He was so <laughs> proud of you. And this Quite tough, was, aren't we? But mm, not really. I'm not that tough. Mm, mm. <laughs> no, she's not tough. <laughs> oh, look. <laughs> Can we not tell everyone I'm crying on radio? <laughs> the, the book is a celebration of food, but without the grain. And making breads and cakes and cookies and muffins and meals, meals, meals absolutely meals. beautiful meals without grain. And, and because it is a movement, it, you know, and I said to Tanya recently, I went, okay, when's the next one coming out? I've done all of them. I'm ready for the next one. Oh, that's actually, that's been my question. Knowing you were coming today, I'm thinking, when is it? When is it? Because I'll tell you, you introduced me to the chia seed. The second draft is done. <gasps> yeah. oh. We're just not sure when. We're, yeah, we're really not sure when. Um, look, you know, that book, it's really interesting, and I think we've all probably experienced it as women in business. Um, we sold everything to open the cafe, everything we own. We sold so we could finance the cafe ourselves. When it came time to print the book, we had no money, mm-hmm. zero cash, yeah, and because it was all just going into the cafe yeah. and into finding ways to keep researching emerging foods and functional foods and that costs big money when you're working with companies from around the world to bring stuff into trial. I was trying stuff before it was even in the country, you know. So when the book came, a friend actually financed the book for us long enough until we sold enough copies to actually pay him back and to make just enough money to do the second print run. But it was never about money. The book has always been about 
being in service, I think. Yeah. It was the only way I could get my, well, passion and belief into print. So, yeah, um, but the book almost broke the bank, but it was worth it. Yeah. It was absolutely and worth it. And the reason it. it broke the bank, I believe, is that you went local. Oh, I know, you, yeah. Like a lot of people will go to China to yeah. print. <laughs> you went local. Every bit of it was local. Everything was local from graphic designers to pictures to the printing. It was Namble, right? All Namble. All Namble. Yeah. The paper was the last recycled stock in the country. That was it. So we paid more money to get the paper. But we never wanted to pass the cost on to our, the people that bought our book. But, yeah, my husband did all the photos, except for the front cover. He gets really upset because I did the front cover. <laughs> in a fit of rage one morning, I was getting really cranky because oh. we had this big argument. Everybody said I should be on the front cover, and I went, that would be the biggest, wankiest book on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and this came to me through a really beautiful friend of mine. Her mother had just died. It wasn't working, and she knew how much I love the Mixmaster. So I had it fixed, and that morning, that Mixmaster made one of the chocolate cakes in the book. I carried it out, hugging it just before I had my breakfast, set it against this wall, which came off an old farm down at Udlow, and just went, wow, gee, you look beautiful in the morning light, and took the photo. And that was the oh front my cover. Gosh, I didn't know the story behind <laughs> that. That's the I front love cover. That photo. And it's a beautiful, for our listeners, it's a beautiful lime green, old fashioned mixmaster that your granny used to have. Yep. With gorgeous lime green mixing bowls against a, Rusting. a, a rustic old corrugated iron piece and it's just stunning it, it pops it's beautiful but I, but I think Tanya you just brought up a beautiful point about any of us in business or trying to do our thing is that there are often angels that come into your life mm. at incredible times that save you support you uplift you or help you yeah and I think in lots of ways, whenever I look at your book now, I, I will think of that person that helped finance it in the same way I look at my book, the, the money we had earmarked when we printed our book because it was self-published. Mm. Um, um, went, we, we had someone, you know, unfortunately the money we had earmarked for it, the, the money we had, the institution we had had collapsed. So we needed 40 grand in three weeks and it didn't happen but wow. and we were Kiwis living in Australia didn't have yeah. um, financial support by anybody didn't mm. have a home because we'd lost that in another deal it was like oh my god <laughs> but I'll ask you this question the same question I got asked um, is this the universe telling you give up or is this the universe saying how bad do you want it oh more than bad mm. yeah look do you know what I learned through that process that my I didn't know that I was actually such a hopeful person until I did this project. Mm. And I learned that I think my point of difference is that despite everything, I operate out of hope and I just know hope floats and it was going to be good in the end. And I just knew that that was, it had to be done no matter what, you know. And I also learned that I stick and I stark. <laughs> <laughs> I stuck despite it all, despite the bookkeeper going, uh, how are you paying the rent next week? And I'm like, who cares? I'll just get the book done and then we'll worry about the rent. And people see the cafe and see me on stage speaking and go, wow, she's so successful. The other thing I learn is that I'll never measure success as a state of money ever again mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was never about giving up. 
I think you're I an, couldn't have. I think you're an incredible company, which is why it feels so special to have you on the show. Thanks. I see the same in Cindy, and I see the mm. same in Karen, and I, and I certainly want to be like that when I grow up. I love that line. <laughs> um, but that's I, my line. Yeah, I, like, I just stole it. But it is true. I think, I think that's what is... Maybe that's our connection here. It's bigger than just cookbooks and food and things like mm. that. It's actually women inspiring women, and that's what this show is about. How did you then take it from the book into the... Was it just customers that bought the book, or was it... How did it sell enough to now make more? <laughs> um, do you know, we we knew we only had... Because we did go local, hey, and against everybody's advice, I knew I had to do local. There was just something driving me about that. Um, and I'd do it again, but I'd be a better negotiator <laughs> and a tougher businesswoman, but still position myself with good intent, you know. Well, we learn, you know, we, we, we learn what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And it's not out of anything other than what's working and what's not working yeah. that we yeah. make future decisions based on that, you know. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I didn't, I did the, I wanted to do the book because people asked me for the recipes and I kind of went, oh, well, yeah, put it in a book. That makes sense. Um, but I didn't want to make it a really big deal. So I didn't want to be this uber amazing publisher that everybody falls in love with I just wanted to put out a book that everybody was happy with so when the book was actually published or before the book was published we put out this little list on our counter in Husk and Honey and asked people if they were interested in the book just to pop their name down and every day we were filling up two and three sheets and I couldn't believe it actually (laughs) I was going and Eric had like bring them out into the kitchen and I'd be mopping the floor and I'd be absolutely sweating flies and tired and frustrated and he'd go, here's another three pages. <laughs> and each time he'd show me, I'd burst into tears. I'd sit on my stainless steel bench and cry and go, really? Do people really want my book? And then when we did the launch, well, you were there. Yeah. Hey, I Cindy was box. there. I know we didn't have enough. I, I want a box. And you went, <laughs> we still don't have enough. I don't have any. And I'm like, <laughs> what? I want a box. <laughs> I know, I know. And do you know... People have said to me, it must be a bestseller, and I'm like, we printed 2,000 books. It's not a bestseller when you print 2,000 books. But I just knew if I could keep affording to print 2,000 books eventually, I'd get it. So how many have you sold to date? Almost 4,000. See, that's bestseller. 3,000 is a bestseller here in, in Australia. Really? Yes. So Holy you're a crap! bestseller. Oh, it's 5,000 kids oh, well, just I'm told almost me. there. 3,000 in New Zealand, 5,000 in Australia. Oh, well, then you're a, you're a bestseller in Kiwiland. Well, I've only sold 100 in New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it will not take long for Kiwis and now Australia to get onto this. This will, I have to be honest, I'm absolutely gutted that you didn't bring me a copy today because I've been trying to get a copy. Oh, yeah. And, um, <laughs> the van, yeah, I have to go to, well, I, used to, I had to go to the shop. Yeah. The if my van arrives, my husband's going to come and pick me up and the van arrives, there possibly could be some books in the back Oh, of seriously, the van. because I have asked so much for the, so there must be a demand because whoever's got, I've gone in and asked, they don't have it. No, it sells out all the time. Yeah. And we're kind of getting to that reprint and it's really funny because I'm starting to wonder about, because we um, self-published. Do you self-publish? Yes. Yeah. But I'll, I'll do, like, I would have told you, and I think I told you. You did launch. tell me. Why didn't you do 5,000? 2,000 is not enough. Yep, <laughs> she did. 2,000 was all I could afford. Yeah. But um, I'm at that point where I'm sort of trying to work out how do you do it the next time, you know, because it's a huge capital. Every time you print a book, it's all this money up front. And like I said, you know, we sold everything. 
but, but still I think don't own anything. <laughs> your purpose your purpose is bigger than the book. Oh, absolutely. And your person. So so Husk and Honey was around for how long? It's been around now for four years. And it's still going, but yeah. you're no longer involved. No, we sold it to our partners, Johnny and Tashi. Perfect. Yeah. And I went in there just recently, and I was looking for this Rastafarian woman. Yeah. Um, but she wasn't <laughs> She'll there. She'll be back in about a week. Yeah. <laughs> um, just want to congratulate you on being named Sunshine Coast Businesswoman of the Year this year. Thank outstanding. Yeah, so outstanding. So she went through all the categories, you know, all of them to become the outstanding, outstanding. which is pretty amazing. So Thank what you. is Tanya Hubbard doing today? We would like to invite you all. I can't tell you what the date is yet, but we're going to invite you to another launch. Oh, yeah. Uh, we launched the Gluten Free Grain Free Company in 2010. It published the book. But one of my biggest dreams has to be able, is to really be able to touch people's lives through the food service industry. So I want to be able to touch your life in a cafe in Melbourne and know that you've gone in and had a really meaningful experience with food. So I've after um, about four years of development and product testing, we're about to launch our entire bake-at-home range, which I'm really excited about. You'll see it on, like we do it on the website now, but this is so that people in cafes can actually bake a gluten-free, grain-free, nut-free, dairy-free cake. They can share in the profit of the industry. It's a good industry, it's a healthy industry, and it's growing at about 13% a year. But I was trying to work out how can I help them to touch their customers in a good way, but also help them to be a better business. So, and people think I'm crazy. They're like, you know what, you should just be in business to make money. And I'm like, no, it's got to be about building relationships and making change. So, and I, it's crazy, but I see myself getting on a plane and flying to Melbourne and sitting beside somebody in this Melbourne cafe and they're eating a little vanilla and cinnamon cake that came from my little production facility here on the Sunshine Coast. Wow. But that cafe actually baked for themselves because yeah, yeah. the food service industry is struggling with the notion of being able to help their customers with gluten-free, grain-free. They it's want true. to, it's but true. it's hard work. But I'm sorry, Tanya, when I look at gluten-free in the supermarket or even natural mm. food stores, mm. they're not. it's not just the supermarkets. You pick up a gluten-free cake mm. pack, for example, Yeah. And there's ingredients in there I do not want to give my children. Oh, and, and just agree. I, but just, but just agree. because it says gluten-free doesn't mean it's healthy. No, but that's the whole argument, isn't it? Just because it's organic doesn't mean it's good for you. Just because it's gluten-free doesn't mean it's good for you. It's a bit like, you know, low-fat, fat-free, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm not interested in mass production. I'm only interested in quality. So for me, it was about taking as many different whole plant foods as I could and manufacturing them by hand. Everything's actually milled. We've got two big mills and everything's actually done on site by hand and it's all plant-based food. So we get um, pumpkin seed comes in and I mill. <laughs> yeah, the poor mill's working overtime at the moment. <laughs> poor thing. And Eric's like, stop breaking it. I can't afford a new one, but whatever. <laughs> See, I just do the whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Not my problem. Um, I spend huge amounts of money on... Organic vanilla. I will only use organic vanilla in my product, organic cinnamon, and all of those things are really important. And what we've done is created a product that will cost more to buy, but it reflects what's in the food. So it's not made up of binders and fillers and numbers and e-numbers and all of that stuff. I think this is so refreshing. It. This is it's so refreshing. You're just eating plants in a cake, and you know, 
I love cake. I think cakes are sexy, but I'm actually not a huge cake eater. I'm a more of a, you know, chicken and egg kind of girl. But but you love creating it for others? Oh, my God, I love yeah. it. I got to do a birthday cake for a really good friend of mine, Julie Shelton, the other day, and I and I got to layer it up and be all chefy and pathetic, but I loved how it looked. It was beautiful, and I finished it off with some organic dried rose petals, and <gasps> and it was just, I loved it, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like a warm hug on a plate for me now. It's smaller. It's not the cafe anymore. It's Oh, that's what I call my lavender, a warm hug in a bottle. There you go. That's what Probably. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know when um, I've, I've actually been very privileged to try all of yours. Um, and they come in a brown pack. It's not showing. I just want you all to know, know. it's not showing. She looks hot. <laughs> Amazing. But the... Um, that comes in a brown pack and you, I basically throw it in something, throw a couple of things in, stir it up, throw it in the oven and it's delicious. Thank you. Every one I've tried of yours is beautiful and I don't think it's expensive. I was going to ask you it is. No. What we've done, I guess, see people say to me, oh my God, like 12 bucks for a cake, makes you got to be kidding me and I'm like, go and buy that at yeah. a bakery. A, it's not food safe but no. B, I mean, well... It was really lovely. There's this, I can't tell you the big posh cafe in Melbourne or the big posh <laughs> silly chef that's playing with my food at the moment. <laughs> but he um, baked the vanilla and cinnamon cake for a big bunch of posh celebrity chefs just recently. I was beside myself and almost peeing my pants with nerves. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. She, she, thinks, she thinks she's swearing, but no, it's okay. Keep going. Anyway, so yes. Sorry about that. Um, I was kind of excited but really nervous anyway. And... Um, he baked this cake and he got a message back through to me through the sous chef down there. He said, I, that actually just cost me 13 bucks to make. And he said, do you know what kind of price we put on a slice of cake for a dessert in my restaurant? And I went, no, no clue, you know, couldn't care less. And he said, oh, 15 to $16. Yeah. And I went, got your rip off like that. <laughs> like you guys just did and he said you don't get it at all people absolutely could not believe what they were eating and they said they would have paid double absolutely it's a lesson in value i'm learning i'm learning that lesson but it's that same question of um whenever someone asks you oh my gosh that's expensive my answer to yours would be compared to what there's actually nothing like it no it's the first in the world that sounds really Mm. pretentious but um there's nothing else like it in the world. I want to ask you something from a, a personal and business perspective. Mm. Years ago, when we were on the path of trying to create our own organic skincare company, I talked to everybody I possibly could about trying to do what my vision was around skincare. And everyone kept telling me it couldn't be done because we needed preservatives and parabens and, and emulsifiers and, and lathering agents and all sorts of things. And I finally pinned, we were at a big conference, and I pinned this guy down that was a big guru in America on business and and skincare and everything. $600 an hour he was consulting fee. We decided that we would somehow link in with him, and and we shouted him a drink. So we had an hour and a half with him, unpaid, which was great. But we told him our vision, and do you know what he said? He said, well, girls, you're going to have to look at yourselves and say, do you want to save the world or do you want to make money? Because it's impossible to do both. And I've never forgotten it. And you are... If you had not met you. No. And he had not met Tanya. Let no. me put it that way. And you know what? It's people like that that wow. I think constantly challenge our beliefs and, and potential in our own selves. I mm. was a little bit flabbic. For a while there, I didn't think it could be possible. Until I kept questioning and thinking... My big question now, and everyone says I can't, is why not? 
Oh, absolutely. Why not? And yeah. I want to know why. And so have you been driven by the same principles? Oh, absolutely. Look, I've been told you'll never make it happen. I was told there was no way I could open a cafe with one recipe. And truly, I had one recipe and I opened Husk and Honey with one muffin recipe five ways. If you'd walked in on the first day, you were just going to see five muffins. That was it. Five oh, muffins. And I had people say, are you in it to make money or are you in it to change the world? And I've always been both. And you know what? That's a 21st century business model. The business model now is about each one of us being able to do what we love, be in love with what we do and change the world if we can. And there's no reason that you can't have both. Yeah, love it. There's absolutely no reason. I think there's a guy by the name of Seth Godin. Yes. And he says that exact same thing. He says an apple is a really good... Um, and that's not the apple you eat, but that's the the technology apple. Uh, Basically, they created something that would change the world. Yep. And I believe money was probably a secondary thing to them. And they always had a reason why they were doing something. You know, there was the reason why, and we're going to change the world. And look what they've done. Mm. Well, Steve Jobs always said, um, you know, when they have asked him questions about his market research and what he goes, I never do market research. Mm. My market research is I know what they need. And I ask what they need, but sometimes they don't even know what they need. So I create something that's going to create an experience and I deal with their emotions. And that is, to me, what Apple has done. It's a very emotive, interactive, technical company. And Tammy's a good example of that because... She didn't know what she needed until she went to see Bill Giles. Mm. She, you had no idea. No. Nah. He knew what you needed. <laughs> yep. And, that, and that's the thing, is that we actually know people need this. And especially the gluten-free has become so big. And, and what I'd like to talk about is that, you know, like that was 10 years ago for you. Mm. The information in 10 years about what they've done to our grains, especially our wheat, uh, and why we are now all gluten intolerant or grain intolerant, and people don't even know this. Mm. So in order for people to survive now and to, become, to be fertile and to perpetuate the species, we have to begin to understand that what we have done with science and hybridizations of foods and the, and the changing of, of, of everything is what is creating the ill health we have now. And you're a perfect example. Oh. So I know that you have a website and you have um, emails that come into you. <laughs> And sometimes you have 130 to 150 a day. Yeah. And every day you personally answer them. Yeah. Have you got some good stories about young kids especially? Because you were an adult when this, when you realised, mm. you know, you went through 20-something years of not doing well and then all of a sudden you changed and you just took grain out. What about kids? Have you... Tell me some stories. Um, I think probably my two favourite stories. When I was... We decided that one of the things I needed to understand was how kids were actually because I knew what it was like for me as a kid but nobody actually could help me or my parents so I actually went back there and put that little kiddies hat on and this the universe works so beautifully hey this lady arrived one day we started with our little muffins at a Caloundra farmer's market she heard through the grapevine that this crazy chick was down at the farmer's markets with these grain-free muffins through this the thinnest thinnest possibility she was told that her young son who was a high functioning child with Asperger's uh, could possibly do well by removing gluten from his diet so she sought me out I asked her if I gave her all the product if I baked it for her and gave it to her week in week out and I put together a plan for her son I'm not a doctor I'm none of those things but I know what my life is like now if she'd be prepared to try it. Now, this woman ran her own business in Caloundra and had her son with 
her all the time. I went and visited him. He would scream and chuck stuff and really was so frustrated in his little body. And I remember that as a child. Um, So within a week... Anyway, so this little boy, I went and visited him one day. He was eating our little grain-free muffins. One recipe. (laughs) (laughs) In the book, on the website, it's there for free. Um, And he started enjoying food, which was the first thing she said he'd never do, was enjoy food. Um, He struggled eating, had funny things, ideas about smells and all of that kind of stuff, which I was like, soggy food can't do, food that's touched other food can't do, all of that sort of stuff, yeah. I can't do any of those things. Yeah, yeah. So, but there was this, but I was witnessing this young boy go through real stresses, right? Anyway, so a week later, um, I can draw that arrow this way too. Anyway, so um, a week later I went to visit him and he was calm in the shop, still really, but calmer. There was this real beautiful energy in the shop and I asked how he was going and it was good. Two weeks later, um, he was speaking and having a conversation with his mother, something he hadn't done since he was quite a little tiny toddler. Um, Six weeks later, she put him in school. Oh, my God. Six weeks later, she put him in school. (laughs) Um, Twelve months later, she sold the shop and gathered up her family and they moved back down south where she could be closer to the rest of her family. They moved away because nobody else could understand the life she was living. Now they're all collectively together. He's in school and he doesn't eat grain. No grain. Not just gluten, but no grain. Then our most recent story was a beautiful little girl called Claudia who lives up here in Brisbane and her mum I met through a good friend of mine. Um... And she sent me these photos of this little girl with all these blisters and these little eyes that closed up and this little bulbous face and itchy skin. That was me. I always looked like I'd been punched in the face. Even as an adult, I used to get this really bad rash. Um, And I just looked at her and went, you know what, I reckon it's this. I decided it was time for me to step up and go, you know what, I actually know about this stuff. So I said, I reckon it's this. Take these things out of your kid's diet and see how you go. So she took out every grain except rice. And this little Claudia is completely clear. She sleeps at night, no rash, no anxiety. They're not up every two hours. They had to mortgage their house for her medical bills. Now they don't have any medical bills. And this little girl is walking and she's actually started her own blog about her little daughter, which I'm so excited about. I don't know about the other mums out there listening to this, but... This could be the biggest epiphany of anyone's life for their children's sake. You know, mm. when you and it's simple. It's you're actually not talking about doing a big protocol program, no. making sure what times of the day you eat. You're mm. saying take grain out. Mm. Now I know that might be a struggle for some if you're used to bread, muffins, cakes, biscuits and things like that. But you've given an answer for people. Your book, Gluten Free, Grain Free, it will be a revelation for some of our listeners today yes. because and they the will company, get it. And the company that, you know, like they don't have to think, where am I going to get all these ingredients? No. They just buy the pack from you. That's the other way they can do it, yeah. yeah. But this is all about easy stuff. I mean, I look at... Um, I was actually telling a lady about your cool chocolate buttons yeah. the other day. <laughs> Holy Moses, so that wonderful. stuff is totally My son addictive. thought they were chocolate buttons. <laughs> Put a whole wafer in his mouth and went. Oh no, I eat them like that. Yeah, but you know, imagine a kid. I just eat them them straight out of the packet that the cacao wafers. Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. There's no sugar. What's happening is people. What I'm, what I'm loving now is, well, it's like when we go and talk to a group of people, you can actually say to them, they'll say to me, where do I get that food from? And I think there's this whole 
it's like a revolution. We're all going, you know what? Couldn't get it from any of the manufacturers, so let's create it ourselves. And you're a let's create it ourselves kind of gal. I think we all are, right? Well, we are. Yeah, no one else is doing it, so we'll do it ourselves. But mm. we do it with such integrity and with such passion mm. that when I do go out now, I can say, oh, you want that chocolate stuff? This is where you get yeah. it from. Do you want this coconut flour? This is where you can get it from. And it's becoming mainstream. Mm. I've always wanted this to be mainstream. It's mm. food for everybody. I don't want people to feel special when they mm. go into a cafe and be treated badly because they insist on eating this way yeah i want everybody to be able to celebrate it and just become a normal part of their life do you know what i absolutely love is that and i'm seeing it more from a psychological perspective but what i'm absolutely loving seeing is that with our kids when our kids are affected by their foods we discipline their behavior we relate Mm. to that behavior and it's as if we haven't met our kids yet We've never met them from the time they were born to the time where they where the parent actually gets that a transition in terms of their food is necessary or they mm. have the luxury of meeting you for <laughs> yes. argument's sake that says take them off the grains, do this and do that. Mm. You know, a kid could be 13 or it could be t- or 10 or 15 and the parent meets their child, the real person, mm. for the very first time. I mean, to me, mm. you know, I think that... I get a bit emotional about that, but I think that is the saddest thing that we've done to ourselves as we've actually removed, um, we've removed the person and we've replaced it with a a chemical poisoned response behavior and we're we're treating that behavior, we're treating that poisoned response Mm. rather than eliminating it and actually meeting the little authentic person and the little authentic life for the first time. I can't even begin to imagine what that would have been like for you growing up Mm. and to finally be free. Because, you know, like I can imagine what it's like for the family relating to a child who's been affected by the food that significantly. But what the hell is it like for the child to be trapped in a skin that you can't breathe in? pretty yucky that's beautifully said though Mm. that's the best articulation of that i have ever heard thank you um it is like you're trapped it's like you're living in a quiet desperation it is like the people who are nearest to you are the furthest away from you and i was in my 30s when i finally was able to actually be a part of this new me but it was always the old me and it's meant that to go back and rediscover and rebuild a relationship with my family is really hard because for them they've lived this entire life with this young person who has raged against the world. Yeah, they don't been even angry. know you. No, they don't know me. Yeah. I mean, you don't even just be getting to know you. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And you know what's sad is that, and, and we, we treat this, we actually treat it mm-hmm. with drugs. Yeah. So more chemicals. So mm. more chemicals. More so we suppress the real person to become somebody even more different. And in actual fact, we dull their minds. And that, that infuriates me. Mm. Am I, am I being, am I being completely arrogant in saying this? It's all about food. Mm. Is it not? Is it not? Does it not all come back down to food? As far as how we can treat things and be and... Is that an arrogant statement? Well, I think there's food and I think, yeah. I think there's also thought involved in that and I think there's also trauma. Mm. Um, Dr. Sarah Farrant, she sums it up beautifully and that she talks about, you know, um, toxins, thoughts and traumas. 
So I think I think that there is a mindset perspective involved in it, but there does come a certain time, and Tanya's living proof of this, you know, in support of what you're saying, Kim. There comes a time where actually it wouldn't have mattered Tanya's mindset because she wouldn't have wanted to be trapped in a skin that she couldn't live in. No. So if she had the choice or she knew how to do better, she would have done better from a mental perspective. Mm. So I think that there does come a point where the toxin overrules. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just kind of getting that inclination now like you are. And the question to ask also is that why did it affect Tanya, but it didn't affect maybe you and I, Kim? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if food affected you because we've never talked about your childhood as far as you know, our thoughts and what we were like. Mm. Why is it affecting one person and not the other? Why are some kids getting the problem and yeah, not others? Good question. And so it's not just all about food. But, and we talked about this before. It's about what we've done. We've gone so far away from nature. Mm. You know, we take antibiotics when we're pregnant. We have vitamin K given to us. We're, we're vaccinated. We're given more antibiotics. We're given foods that aren't real. We're not meant to breastfeed. You know, that it's, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even, um, even into the 80s, you know, the better thing was formula. It was better than breast milk. So I don't think, I think food is what will heal us, but we've done damage to yeah. Do you think then the word is nature? going back to all things raw in our thought, our processes, our food, the way we eat. I just feel with what Tanya's saying that I just feel for the mums out there and dads out there that have got kids maybe like Tanya and they want the best for their kid but they don't know what to do. Um, and then they're told by doctors they need more drugs or this child's got X disease and, or problem and therefore they put, and then they keep them out of school and they do all this. It just, it just seems to me that there's a real ignorance and that's what I mean with the arrogance of saying it comes back to food. For goodness sake, if we can get our food right, would the other things not fall into place? Do you know, once I got... When the food started to become right and I started to heal and the fog lifted and I could actually unpack my own crap, if you like, and get inside my own head, which I never wanted to do, I needed to be in a better position physically and I needed all those things to lift away um, before I could start dealing with that other stuff before I could start going talking about no I don't want to I'm not going to be part of that system that's my hubby (laughs) um it's for me it became the very first step in my own medicine and then I had to find other people who could help me with the other stuff because there was a lot of damage and damage that had happened because as I got older I was less capable of making good decisions. I was less capable of relating. Um, You know, love is the thing I love the most in life, but it's my greatest challenge, loving and being loved. And that's all a part of that deeper damage, I think, that happens when you're not in a good place when you start out. And So so would I be fair in saying that food started the journey? Yeah, Yeah, but now, gosh, I'm 43 and I unpack crap every day. I sit in front of... I read a book or I watch a movie and recently I watched a movie about adoption and I thought I'd dealt with that stuff. Haven't I even come close to that and get random text messages from friends I haven't spoken to in a couple of months saying, thinking about you, abandonment's on my mind and so are you. When are you going to deal with that? When does that come next? Oh, yeah, I was really angry a week ago because it just kept coming from friends who love me and I love, but... And now I'm in a better place to deal with that stuff. And I think it's only until I start doing that then I'll be better positioned to really be of service. 
So it's not just about the food. The food started the journey. It was all the other things that I had to clear away as well. I think one thing we can look at here from the perspective of health is is back to how Cindy always talks about and, and that, in fact, everything is perfect. And I'm sorry that you've had to go through all of these things, but in reality, glutenfreegrainfree.com.au would not be existing no. if we had not you had not experienced the pain in order to create the outcome and the positiveness. And mm. I think I love the way Cindy always says, you know, if, if my kids get a cold, my first reaction is, oh my gosh, they're sick. And she goes, oh, it's fantastic. Look how well the body's working. Look at it. It's letting it out. I know. And I've really learned to do that in the last mm. few years. And I think, you know, as, I think there's real joy in your pain and, and I think we can all be grateful for that Thanks. so thank you and many other people too mm. will, will be grateful for that so let's um, talk about you becoming businesswoman of the year <laughs> <laughs> you know um, I know you're very humble about this um, but to me it's probably one of um, on the Sunshine Coast and we are a little hub of amazing I think there's so many amazing women here mm. like we feel that we could do a whole podcast for 12 months with the amazing women here on the Sunshine Coast I don't know what it is it just seems to draw them in like you're not a Sunshine Coaster originally are you? Um, used to holiday here lived at Maroochydore for a while but no not really I'm not a local none of us are no. none of us are locals and, and they just seem to be drawn here yep. and there, there seems to be this there's a creative energy I yeah. think there's a creative air about the Sunshine mm. Coast and there's also a sense of freedom here. Mm. So even though we might travel for work or, you know, go and do stuff outside, there's, we still come back here for our base, for creativity, for recharge, mm. for freedom. And yeah. So the fact, you know, that you're humble about it, in actual fact, it's, it's, it's quite an amazing thing. Thanks. Amongst <laughs> all these women out here. Um, but congratulations. Thank you. On yes, doing that. And, absolutely. And are you going to go for Telstra Businesswoman of the Year? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been nominated? No. Oh. Really? You haven't been nominated for Telstra Business? No, I wasn't ready. Mm. I think the universe knew I wasn't ready and I was very comfortable and happy with that. <laughs> um, it was a, um, you know, I'd say to anyone, if you're nominated for any award, do it. F- for me, it was amazing to unpack myself and unpack my business and write it out and keep writing it and being critical and methodical about the way I did that to discover at the end of it that I'm kind of okay. <laughs> I guess okay enough that I won the Outstanding Businesswoman of the Year. Um, that process alone was worth millions to me because I was able to reframe myself, reframe my business, ditch the stuff I don't want to do because sometimes I get caught in that oh, I should do that for that person and I should do that and I probably should do more of this. And Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but it helped me and enabled me to actually completely reframe and put up a whole new picture about the way I want to go forward and that was the best outcome for me and my team oh they were just beside themselves happy happy and joyful and um and that was good for them too because they're a really important part of what I do and they're part of my family so it wasn't just me that won it I love how you call them team I love them and not staff no they're team because they are your team Mm. and they're your support and they're probably your um most raving fans yeah, but they put up with all my crap too. <laughs> and they tell me how it is. And team, hey, T E A M. Together, everyone achieves more. That's yeah. why I say team. Mm. I love it, yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, you know, um, being in New Zealand, I didn't expect to win my category, let alone the Outstanding Businesswoman of the Year. And of course, you know, you know this story. When they rang me, I thought that they were just 
pulling my leg <laughs> and wasn't particularly nice to them in the first two minutes of the phone call because I was actually sleeping in a camper van in the cold in New Zealand, having spent my entire day speaking to lots of people in big crowds. So, so let's let them just know that um, <laughs> you were nominated, but because you already had your calendar organised, yeah, you had seven days of commit commitment in New Zealand during the actual final. Yeah. So you weren't there. You were asleep in a camper van with your husband. Yeah. When the call came through. When the call came through and I got this, you know, really, can I do it? I'll do it. I got this <laughs> kind of, you know, moment on the phone and I'm thinking, oh my God, really? Like, you know, I can be pretty, um, what's the word, non-emotional and a little bit detached sometimes and I was both of those when that phone call came through. And there was just all this sooky la-la stuff going on on the other end of the phone and this lady saying to me, you won. And I'm like, well, I didn't enter the lotto. I'm in New Zealand, so what's going on? And then it was when I looked at Eric that I realised that... And Eric's your husband. Eric's my husband and that I realised that I'd won Outstanding Businesswoman of the Year for the Sunshine Coast. Mm. Um, and you know what? I still can't believe it because, well, right now I'm sitting in a room of three exceptional women, all of whom I admire and read about and follow. And it's a little bit hard to sit here and go, I'm the outstanding businesswoman of the year. (laughs) (laughs) When you're in this room. But if my story and my inadequacies and my stumbling and my leaving the house with my pants on back the front moments... (laughs) can lead one other person to going, you know what, that's what I want to do too. I can actually step up and be the best I want to be, then it's been worth it. You know, Tanya, I think you're the epitome of of um, a person following their passion. And there's something else that I'm admiring in you that is just so um, heartwarming for me in that a lot of people create a business or they create an idea And they look to the marketplace and allow the marketplace to determine what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. And then eventually they lose their passion, they lose their drive and they lose their incentive to keep going. And of course the money, you know, disappears along with that. Mm. And we wonder why our businesses have lost momentum and leverage and, you know. But I'm looking at you as somebody who's created a product born out of your own passion. Yeah. Born out of your own creativities. And then the market just naturally responds to you. And people are just naturally drawn to you because that's the way that the universe works. And I'm a big believer in that. And then when we're following our greatest passion and our greatest desires and our greatest dreams, not somebody else's or not what somebody else needs, but following what's inside for us with absolute and utter abandon, (laughs) then what's meant to be is... Mm. And the passion never dies. In fact, it accelerates. And I'm sitting in your company feeling a whole new renewed sense of direction and passion and um, importance in even my own business and my own dreams because you represent a powerful possibility for people who wake up with them and put their pants on back to front. <laughs> and, <laughs> or inside and, out. Inside out. And snort when they laugh. <laughs> and you represent... away. <laughs> but you represent a whole new realm of possibility for people who just want to do it their way. Mm. Who just want life 
their way, yeah. business their way, rather than having business be determined by a set of norms and acceptable societal business plans and strategies yeah. that never bloody work yep. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it, that's amazing and it is about so inspiring it is inspiring but not being you know you weren't completely ready five rest no one recipe five no. different ways no but you, you not knew, even close and no perfection you know like people expect i've got to have it all ready got to have the strategies got to have the budget got to have this got to have the business plan got to do that mm-hmm. now eric eric's here by the way yeah. and he is just nodding his little head out there <laughs> Do you know, when you say the word perfection, I actually wrote this just recently. Um, I'm not about perfection. I'm just about beautiful. And beauty is not perfection. There's, it's not possible to achieve perfection. But beautiful things, meaningful things, the right things, that's, that's my job. That's what I love to do. And then I, think I don't we, strive for perfection. We've talked about... Holy crap, look at me. It's not possible. <laughs> but we've talked about... Especially them. when she puts her pants on the <laughs> We've talked about business. <laughs> the business side of it we've all talked about now, but I also want to bring it back to a human, a human experience, which mm. is those of us mums, those of us women, those of us men listening to this, that health and well-being is an option. It is possible. Mm. you just got to find the right key as to how to unlock the one that works for you. And I think gluten and grain, what I've learned over the last few years to me, is one of the big starting points where we can really, really investigate our, our real health. Because mm. when we learned from Cindy in a recent podcast that we did about what they're doing to our wheat, it's actually not our fault. Like, you know, we blame these manufacturers sometimes but they don't even realize perhaps what's being done to the wheat we blame our doctors but they're mm. not being trained on nutrition the way we we need it these days mm. we blame our you know there's always a chance to blame but you've taken you've shown what it is to take responsibility and i think anyone listening to this today if you aren't happy with what your children's behavior is maybe just maybe in this podcast, there is an opportunity to look at what you're feeding them because that's what I've really got loud and clear today is the importance of our responsibility as their caregivers. To, I mean, it took you to be 30 to get it. Mm. I really pray I give it to my children as they're growing. But I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for the messages, for the inspiration, for your books, for your recipes. Everything you do is a beacon of light for those of us wanting to have better health and well-being. And if you want to follow Tanya, uh, you just go to glutenfreegrainfree.com.au. You can get all her books and all her yummy packs. <laughs> uh, you can get them all there. So that's glutenfreegrainfree.com.au. And I'm actually just looking at the website right now. And um, you may have heard me clicking away, but I was placing my orders for the vanilla and cinnamon cake. And I also placed some orders for the warm ginger cake because that just looks delightful. Thank you. So, guys, you know, I really hope that this podcast has been meaningful for you. I, I, you know, and I know I say this all the time, but when we get the opportunity to have a look at what we're doing why we're doing it and how we're doing it and then explore alternatives that are not only life-changing but incredibly empowering for ourselves and for the ripple effect that we are all creating whether we know it or we don't. I think it behooves us not to take responsibility for making new choices and for looking at what else is possible. And Tanya, my love, you have made living alternatively to the mainstream easy. Thanks. You've made it seem easy and you've also 
been willing to stand for who you are and what you are and make no friggin' apologies for it. And I love that. <laughs> I think that's awesome. You're definitely one of us. You're definitely one of the good guys. <laughs> and there's the snort. <laughs> On that note, please, by all means, post any questions that you have. post any questions that you have on the website on all the W's, thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. We would love to hear any questions that you've got for Tanya, and we will make sure that we pass them across to her and get her responses and feedback for you. Tanya is definitely one of the team. You're going to hear from her again. I can guarantee it. Um, so make sure that you post your questions up there and we'll look forward to hearing all about your experiences with gluten and grain. So join us here as your professional reminders on Up For A Chat next week and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Hi, Dr. Brett Hill here from The Wellness Guys. Have you seen some of the feedback on Facebook for The Wellness Summit? It was amazing. Ada from Sydney said, I've not just a spring in my step, but an urge to sprint out of bed. If The Wellness Summit comes up in your hometown and you can make it, do it. Sandy and Allison said, this is a seminar worth every dollar. Thanks so much for your huge efforts to bring your work to the world. So guess what? The next Wellness Summit is in Melbourne on August the 17th, and we'd love to see you there. So to get your tickets, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. Can't wait to see you there.